0: Welcome to the number one show and the source of truth for all things medtech. Here, we reveal the secrets and stories behind the investments, science, and commercialization of the medtech industry. Every week, we'll take you on a wild ride with the biggest names in the game, from entrepreneurs and investors who are shaking up the market, to healthcare providers who are revolutionizing the way we think and practice medicine. So hold on tight and get ready for a journey like no other. This is the State of Medtech. Medtech. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. So today's guest is somebody I'm really excited to have on, um, and that's Aaron Chester. Aaron is the VP of sales over at ConMed Corporation, and a really inspiring guy. Number one is, uh, you know, there's certain people in our industry, I'm very proud to say like, yeah, that's somebody who works in our industry, and Aaron is one of those people. A couple reasons why, number one, uh, incredibly hardworking guy, has really sort of, You know, started from the bottom and and rose up in the industry in terms of prominence, in terms of, uh, you know, his work over at Stryker and now at ConMed. Um, But more importantly is that he's a a true servant leader. When I talk to him, I can tell how much he cares about our industry, how much he cares about the surgeons, uh, and, and of course, you you know, the reps as well. And so, uh, originally, I had him come and speak to my uh, program, the Medical Sales Network Effects Program, and speak to our class uh, virtually on, uh, you know, what it's like to move from a rep role to a management position and, and that trajectory. So, we kind of talk about that here in this episode among, among many other things. You're going to really love it. Um, and so, be sure to, uh, you know, re- really listening closely. You might have to re- repeat this episode because there's a lot of pearls of wisdom in it. And be sure to give them a follow on uh, LinkedIn. Now, a couple things I want to make sure to plug. Number one is if you are an organization who is using Salesforce okay? We all know how much of a pain Salesforce is and it's a huge investment. Why not protect that investment and get the most out of it? That's where Clary comes into play. Clary is a sponsor of our show and Clary essentially is a revenue intelligence platform. What does that mean? What that means that Clary plugs into Salesforce and does a couple things. Number one, it automates the data going into Salesforce for your reps. So first off, Think about how much time a rep has. You want to add to that plate them entering data into Salesforce. Even if they get it done, they usually do it after hours or on the weekends, and so the data isn't as clear. So as they say, garbage in, garbage out. Well, Clary automates that so it's super easy for reps to get their data in. The second thing, and this is where Clary's category, which is revenue, collaboration, and governance comes into play. Clary takes those insights and gives it back to you as the sales manager, the director, the VP, so that you understand what are the deals that are most important, which deals need to be touched again and managed more closely and get the most resources. And the best part is that when it comes to revenue, collaboration, and governance, this is a team sport. So through Clary, this allows the sales organization and the marketing organization to work side by side instead of against each other to figure out which deals can we close this quarter? And that's where the true value of Clary comes out, which is for your board, for your executive team, they help you predict revenue. They are so good at this, it's like magic. I, you know, One of their big case studies was a company that I did something about $5 billion in revenue annually, something in the billions, and they were able to predict revenue quarters ahead of time and be within only 100k of difference like that level of accuracy is insane so to learn more about clary you can click the show notes below and go read you know that's our life sciences landing page for medtech or just go to clary.com that's C-L-A-R-I.com to learn more now a couple other things i want to make sure to plug because i think you know i always want to provide value to the audience beyond just the content if you are looking for early adopters we all know how difficult it is to find those early adopters right we it's not always the person who's up on podium or even somebody who is you know the most published right those early adopters that really open up a market are the ones that you don't know about, right? So how do you find them? Well, data can be your best friend. The problem is twofold. Number one, a lot of these providers who have these great databases of surgeons and clinicians in terms of their prescribing behavior, whose procedure volume is the highest, who gets paid what and by whom, so on and so forth, they cost a lot of money, tens of thousands of dollars every year. But then the other side of it is, These databases aren't exactly easy to use. It's not like you can hand this to your sales force and they're going to use it, right? That's why I've partnered up with Alpha Sophia. Alpha Sophia is a sales operations intelligence platform that essentially Anybody can use even associate reps, right? Because it's so straightforward and easy to use. Plus they integrate all kinds of data points that you don't find out everywhere else. Like who, you know, of the surgeons that say you're looking for a procedure who has high procedure value, how, which ones have a LinkedIn profile, which one has a Twitter handle, which one uses Instagram and they bring all that data into play. And so if that wasn't great enough already, their price to use is so incredible. I wish that this existed when I was a rep. It only costs $300 a month. And so you can try Alpha Sophia for free right now check the show notes below or go to alphasofia.com forward slash Omar, you'll see my picture there because this is a special offer just for this audience. You get not one, not two, but three searches for free where they're gonna give you a report on anything you want just for you to see and use the platform. And then if you decide to use them, hey, it's only 300 bucks a month, that's something everybody can afford. And last but not least, if you are a sales leader and you realize how difficult it is to drive product adoption and actually sell these days, if you believe in your reps, invest in them. You know, there's this old saying that goes like, hey, what happens if we invest in everybody and they leave? Well, the other side of it is like, what if you don't invest in them and they all stay right you can't have a stale sales force that does not know how to sell in the digital age that's why i created the medical sales network effects program to help sales reps vps and even ceos learn how do you use linkedin and social media to actually sell and drive product adoption how do you use email and video sales letters to create engaging content that's going to actually get emails opened up I teach all that and more inside of my program. Plus I even offer specifically tailored one-on-one trainings just for sales teams who go through it. So if that's not enough, here's what one sales rep had to say about the program and the result that this guy got literally within a few weeks of starting the program.
1: I tried to reach out to this one surgeon. I posted recently on LinkedIn about launching a bunch of new products in this year in 2023. He accepted my connection request Liked that comment, and two days later booked a case with this new technology that we had showed him two days later or two days prior. So it was like all like a methodical steps. So in the surgery yesterday went pretty well. He agreed to try it again. Um, so I think from our standpoint, it was a it was a win 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 of getting the connection on LinkedIn to seeing our content having a good inner office meeting from a standpoint of being able to talk with the surgeon about the new technology and what his peer was doing, and then having a
0: successful case where he would wanna use the product again. Now imagine for your sales rep, one in every two or three or even five of them get an effect like that. And more importantly, the reason we call it the network effects program is because when you teach your sales team how to leverage these platforms like LinkedIn, to proliferate content, product adoption, customer success, there is a network effect that amplifies that content. So more and more of your prospective users and customers see it, and guess what? That lowers the barrier to entry for access, that makes it easier, and more importantly, what you will see is that your pipeline will fill up. So if you're interested in learning more about that, check the show notes below. You can buy the course right now Uh, for your sales team, just buy different seats. Or if you wanna talk about a larger purchase and even having me to work with them one-on-one on a weekly basis, Hit me up, send me a message at omar at khatibandco.com. Now, let's get on to our episode with Aaron Chester, VP of Sales at ConMed Corp. Enjoy. Welcome back, everybody, to the show. I'm joined by a very good friend of mine, somebody that uh, we've been connected through LinkedIn. It's only a matter of time before we actually meet up in person, and that's Aaron Chester, VP of Sales over at ConMed, specifically their advanced surgical division. Aaron, thank you so much for joining the show. How are you doing today?
1: Man, I'm doing great. Omar, thanks so much for having me. It's It's always more my honor than it has to be yours. Um, you've uh, done so much for the med tech space and uh, getting the right people into med tech. So it's, uh, it's absolutely my pleasure.
0: Oh, absolutely, man. Thank you so much. And again, you know, I think uh, one of the reasons why I was excited to have you on, aside from the fact that we see very much eye to eye, we have this very similar philosophies in terms of self-development and sales, but you know, I want more leaders uh, to become like Aaron Chester's, right? Everybody I talk to, even, Again, there's a, a tough rivalry between Stryker and Comet. Even people at Stryker, they have nothing but uh, very good things to say about you. And so it takes, takes a lot of time to develop that kind of reputation. Um, we got a lot of interesting topics to cover today, but maybe just for the listeners who are new to you, um, who is Aaron Chester? Where did you grow up, go to school? How did you get into this industry? Because I don't know about you, but I don't know too many people except for like maybe Henry Peck over at LSI who knew from day one they're going into med tech. Yeah.
1: So I grew up in Southern Oklahoma, a town of about 25,000 people, Um, wanted to go to college when I will tell you where it hit for me was I was a freshman. We were dissecting rats in our biology class. I fell in love with the thought of, you know, surgery and um, medicine and all those things. And it's funny because when I talk to folks that are trying to get in the industry, you know, I, I, I talk to everybody. And if you you want 15 minutes of my time, just show up and and we'll talk about it. But so many people wanted to get into healthcare that have now landed in med tech. And I just kind of fell in love with that idea. I had no idea that med tech in device sales was a thing. Um, But as I got to college, um, just like a lot of other people, uh, I wanted to be in healthcare as a doctor, nurse, or a PA. I figured out a couple years in that I wasn't smart enough or disciplined enough uh, to do that. So, um, I, I found med device sales and I really wanted to do that. I wanted to be in the OR. I wanted to be part of patient care, uh, ever so slightly. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's just kind of where I landed. I took a business to business job for a year and immediately started looking after I'd had some success, a few quarters and, I was fortunate enough to get a sales associate role, so I took a step back, and I know you've talked about this on other podcasts and some of the things you do on Instagram, but I took the step back and took that giant leap of faith to said, you know, I can do this. I'm not going to fail. This is where I want to be. This is my passion. And uh, I actually covered maternity leave uh, for a young lady who had a baby and they needed somebody for a few months, and they said, hey, you get this job, you're going to go right to a territory. and Lo and behold, I got the job. I did pretty well, I guess. Well enough for, she's, she said, her name is Amy Sullivan. She's still a dear friend. I see her probably every other month. She said, hey, why don't we just work this out where you can stay and be in my territory? And we'll work the dollars out and it'll be great. And we just proceeded to go on a five-year run where we blew quote out every single year. And you know, I'm certainly thankful for Stryker that they made the investment in me and her. And we took a, a really terrible territory
0: and turned in something really special after five years. That's amazing. And it's it's a great introduction in terms of how you got in. You know, maybe a for, a great question to start with is uh, something that's always, I would say, um, when I pull uh, on All Hail Medical Sales, I always try and poll people for the solo part of the week. And one week I did it. And one of the most like popular topics is like, how do I turn around a bad territory? I think it was like, the poll was like 1,500 votes and like, Seventy percent of them went to how do I turn around in bad territory. So, what's your what's your approach like when somebody has a bad territory? Um, it's definitely there's a prescriptive approach. Everybody has their own approach to, but how do you how do you go about diagnosing and prescribing what you do with with a bad territory? So
1: I'll tell you something. Tim Scannell, who is a striker legend, um, he was the VP of Sales at Striker Endoscopy when I was there, and he knew that my territory was terrible, and he said, you know, hey Aaron. There are no bad territories, just bad reps. And oh, it, it's true. So, you know, the, the first thing is you have to have an incredible work ethic. And, you know, what I prescribed for myself is I actually had a partner, which was great. Let's play to her strengths, which were GYN, urology. My strength was, it wasn't a strength at the time, but my interest and my passion was around orthopedics. So we divided and conquered. Um, and then we, we went where... You know, the reps didn't spend a lot of time and we built a base and we learned um, how to do the business because, you know, in rural markets, I'm from Oklahoma, so we have some pretty small hospitals and I would go out there because they were hungry to see someone from, you know, Stryker or whatever other company. And I just built my base out there and uh, made a few mistakes, but also made some, some customers out of it. That way I could go into the big med centers in Oklahoma City and Tulsa and, and do a great job. And I feel like, you know, to diagnose, like, where do you need to go? Certainly most great med device companies and even mid-level device companies, they have data. And I think if you start there and you jump into like, who are my customers? Who's ordering? Who's growing? Who's not growing? Um, that That's a great place to start. And then, uh, you know, there's a lot of technology out there that tells you where the business is going. Um, I mean, Acute EMD. Um, I had experience with them tells you, you know, by CPT code, where's the business? Um, But, you know, if you don't have that resource available to you, it's just dive into the numbers, Uh, ask Mm -hmm. for the previous rep, were they promoted or did they leave the company? Um, Sometimes you can get some information out of the the previous rep, even if they're not with the company to say, where should I go? What should I do? But you should never stop anywhere. Um, Don't don't let that discourage you like. Um, the world is so small now you can reach out to anybody. You can find out who the previous rep was. Um, that's, that's, was kind of my approach.
0: No, I, I, I totally agree. And it's funny, like, again, like without, we didn't script this without even talking about it. That's the exact same thing I, I talked through at least on that one episode, which is like the very first thing is like, you have so much data at your fingertips, you know, you have the internet so you can look things up and get in touch with the old rep. The one thing I tell people is like a lot of times people want to be a hero and just jump in and do stuff. I'm like, before you do anything, for three weeks, like you should be gathering as much intel as possible, like almost like a spy, and figure out like what exact what is the what is the truth? What exactly happened? And a lot of times when you do that uh model and get to the source of truth, it's usually it it's on rare occasion that it's like the product was bad or something. It's usually the rep was bad. Yeah. So the rep made a promise or didn't show up and like something went wrong. And that's really what soured the relationship. I feel like more often than not. Yeah. So
1: Omar, you, you make a great point. So you talked about being a hero. I tell all the new reps this. So <clears throat> um, when I was a striker at sales training, they they had an illustration up. so they had an open door and then they had a closed door and then they had a door with a guard dog and the VP of sales at the time, he said, all right, which door are you all going through? To go make a sale. You know, everybody said, Well, I want I want the hard one. I want the one with the guard dog. No, go to the one where they are familiar with your product, they know you a little bit, they're open to it. That that was my rule strategy. It's like, yeah, they they were okay. I would call down, they say, Yeah, come on down, we'd love to meet you. And I just think sometimes we get the hero complex where we want to go tackle the toughest surgeon or the toughest hospital. Don't do that. Go go build your brand, go build your selling muscles. At places that they'll be okay if you if you don't know exactly everything. Um, that's our job as med de, med device reps is absolutely be an expert to help them through, educate them on the product. But don't be a hero. Go go places where they're welcoming. They smile at you versus the place that gives you a scowl.
0: That's a that's such a good point. I feel like it's such it's like very simple advice. Uh, it's simple advice, but not easy because the the notion is like, oh, I want to do something that's going to get me recognized. And I feel like being a rep is already hard enough. You don't have to make it harder by trying to be like in top form in a case. And you're dealing with a surgeon who's like literally waiting for you to breathe the wrong way. <laughs> you
1: know? Yeah. yeah. So, and,
0: and I think, you know, I wonder if you 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 feel the same way about this. I, I look at all sales, but especially our industry. I just came from Dreamforce, um, which was Salesforce's event last week. And I was kind of giving the software guys a hard time. I'm like, you guys have an easy job as sales reps because like our industry is like end to end and in your field, I feel like it's very much like being a pro athlete. And so the psychology of uh, your own psychology as a rep is so important. Like if you get constantly bulldozed by an account, you're dealing with like that stuff's going to affect you in the next account that you go to, right? hundred percent.
1: Um, you know, I always, if you're winning, like you should go and call on them- because your confidence is an all-time high, you, you get a big PO or you're killing your number. Like that's when you should work the hardest because your confidence is the highest, and it just it breeds more wins. So, Do you feel
0: like it's it, it's very much like around um, like uh like momentum building? Like if you have good momentum, then that's when you should just because you don't know when you're going to get that 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 uh, momentum again. You just like double down on it. And and I want to segue that into was that what made you? five-time quota achiever the first few years that you were a rep Striker?
1: You know, I just wanted to win. Um, I got into this in, like, November of 2000, had some early success, and Amy and I just made a deal. Like, we're never going to miss quota. Like, we're we're just always going to find a way to win. We're going to win the right way, but, like, we're going to fill the pipeline. And there's two of us against, you know, the, the storage rep, the Smith & Nephew rep, the ConMed rep, and we just lined up and said, we're just going to outwork them. And she's, she was the smart one. She always did the smartest things. And I always did the, you know, I'm going to drive two hours and make sure this account is okay. But yeah, it, momentum is great. And it's a big source of energy. I think for folks, um, we talk about that a lot here. It's like, Hey, we have great momentum coming through three quarters. Let's carry that through to the fourth quarter. And, you know, nothing feels better than winning and nothing for, for a lot of people like losing hurts worse than winning or is, more I, I'm
0: I'm with you on that, man. Yeah. So I
1: I can remember talking because, you know, President's Breakfast, like you got to recognize I never wanted to be at the other breakfast. I'm like, there's no way. And I was very fortunate that my first five years, Amy and I just had a run. And it's like, we're never going there ever. And uh, and I got a taste of that as a leader because it's very hard to make your number uh, as a sales manager. Um, You got to have a lot of people pulling on the rope and doing the right things and, Uh, I got, I got a few tastes of that. Um, You know, my first year as a manager didn't make my number and then um, didn't make it the second year either. I'm like, I'm never going back there. And I was really fortunate to have great teams around me that would not let me go to the other breakfast.
0: You know, we uh, would, I definitely want to get into it a little bit later, like on the self-development side, but maybe like touching on that now earlier on. So again, like you start out as a, as a rep at, at striker. And again, five-time Koto Achiever, your runner-up rookie of the year in 2001. And those are, those are, so what people, I want to remind the younger reps that like pre-2008 Striker was like, I mean, it's always been competitive, but like especially pre-2008 because like the 2000s were like when things were going well, things were building. So right before the economic crash, it was like really competitive there. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like a lot of that success came from the fact that from day one, you just identified with being the very best achieving quota and just like, like no excuse, like we're going to win. How much of that played into the psychology of, of your, of your year?
1: Well, number one, it was a competitive place and you don't make your number for a few quarters in a row. You weren't going to be there. And I, I've, you know, seen Jim Heath on here. Like it was, it was performing. You got to go. It was, you know, professional athlete type stuff. Like you, you had to be at this level or you can't be here. And, um, It was absolutely. I didn't. I didn't want to lose my job, but I also want to make great money, and I want to be recognized as a as a winner. And that's that. That was the psychology around it for me. It's just like, just you know, go work a little harder. Go make two more calls today. Um, You know, get up a little bit earlier. How did
0: you start your days, by the way? Like you know, uh, again, like whether it's and this is part of the reason why like I look at med device and specifically the sales side kind of like I don't know John Madden looks at football so like I love analyzing this so like for you when you're a rep like how did you plan and structure your days you know like let's start the the day before like how did you wrap up your nights and then how did you how did you plan everything so so Sunday
1: was the planning period you know how professors have planning periods that was my planning period for the week um, and I would honestly try to plan as far out as possible. I just knew that, you know, if, you, if you're going to start an evaluation, you weren't going to do that on a Friday and then get yourself set up. You needed to have some time to make sure you had samples and all the equipment. So, you know, we, it was always, Amy and I were always trying to plan things as far out as possible. But yeah, Sunday night was, that was the thing, you know, late afternoon evening. It was, all right, what am I going to do this week? And there were some best practices taught to me by one of the sales trainers there about, you know, have, have your calendar and say, where am I going to be? And how can I plan my, uh, events as far out as possible? But yeah, Sunday night I was like, this is where I'm going to go execute. Um, I'm going to go call on these surgeons or I'm going to see if I can get this trial started. I, I need to spend time at this account that I just implemented, you know, a couple of weeks ago to check in with them, see how things are going. And that was it. Sunday and I tried to plan the whole week. As far as how would I start my day, the first place I was is in front of my laptop at whatever time in the morning. If I had early cases, it was earlier. I wanted to look at my numbers every single day to see where I was. So every
0: day you checked your numbers.
1: Absolutely, you have to. I I think you have to. Um, You know, I don't use a notebook anymore, but I had my quota, my monthly quota written in the front of my notebook. And I was always pointing to that. How much do I need? How much do I need to get there? You know, And that was the thing is to, to make sure you make your quota every single month. And I know a lot of companies do it differently. Like when I was there, it was, you had the same quota every single month, no matter what. And it rolled up to a yearly number. Now, some quotas, I know, you know a lot of med tech, they do it where they're phased in and there's a ramp towards the end of the year. Um, but yeah, you gotta know what your number is every single month. What do you need to hit it? What do you need to close? And I think if you're running towards that, That's, that's important. You gotta look at your numbers every day.
0: You know, I gotta say there's also, um, like I'm, I'm, uh, psychology and persuasion is like one of my obsessions. There is something to be said about the fact that you put, like, not only did you check your numbers every day, but every day you had this anchoring thing of like this quota number, like that, that was all you're orienting your conscious and subconscious mind towards. And then every day checking those numbers, right. At some point, just purely statistically speaking, those numbers are going to move closer. And as they move closer, a well, little dopamine gets squirted. You get, you get more motivated and you work harder and harder. And I, I feel like that, that, that might have been like the key for you back then because it's a very simple system that's simple, but not easy to do, which is the discipline of waking up, looking at that number, burning that into your brain, and then figuring out all these little data points. How do you move them closer to hitting that?
1: Yeah. Another little psychological thing that I was taught, I didn't come up with this on my own, but, you know, when you're looking at your number, don't look at, I have to get to 2.2 million. It's what do I have left? And that number shrinks over time. And you're like, Ooh, I only have, you know, it's halfway point. I only have $900,000 left versus 1.1. So, Oh, that's interesting. It's always getting smaller. And you're like, Ooh, I'm almost there versus it's like, you're looking downhill to get to the bottom versus looking uphill to get to the top.
0: Oh, that's, I, I'm going to have to, I'm going to, I'm going to steal that. I'm going to, I'm going to start using that in my, on my, on my, on myself. That's actually a great way to look at it. Cause for me, I, I always look at it like, I'm building up towards something, but the reduction part is really nice. Cause then you actually see that number changing and getting closer to zero. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. Oh, that, I like that. I wish that. I could
1: give credit to who taught me that. I don't know, but it's,
0: I'm, I'm, I'm calling that the Aaron Chester method from now on. That's where I learned it. Okay. So, um, what, you know, looking back at your, at your earlier years as a rep, what was the most difficult time for you? Like what what was, what was a painful experience for you that, that, that changed you for the better?
1: You know, um, my third year, just a really rough year. Um, we had had such an amazing two years before, mm-hmm. and, you know, I talk about Amy and this partnership we had, and it wasn't always perfect. There were push pull times where, you know, I mean, it, she was not happy with what I was doing. I wasn't happy with what she was doing. So that was a tough spot for us. And, you know, we, we sat down and we just worked through like, Hey, you know, we didn't do a very good job of setting boundaries. Like, you know, I wanted her to work a hundred hours a week. Cause I wanted to work a hundred hours a week and that wasn't necessarily healthy for her. So that was a difficult time being behind in your number. Um, you know n- not seeing eye to eye with your partner and and that happens a lot more i think in our business is you know we we team up folks and i know other companies do that as well it's like hey this is a team territory maybe there's someone a little more senior and someone some junior but um that was a really rough year and and i think you know we just had lunch a couple weeks ago and we talked about that like we didn't see eye to eye and it was a painful time but we got through it because we, were both, we both knew how important it was, what we were doing and how successful we had been. So it was like, there's no way this is not going to work. And we just, it's kind of like a marriage. Um, we were, we were committed to success and not failing each other.
0: Mm -hmm. Were you, um, back then in the early two thousands, were, were you married back then? Were you single guy?
1: No, no. I was married. I got married uh, pretty young. Um, It's one of those things where you find gold, stop digging. So I did. And uh, yeah, I I hear
0: you on that, man. Took me a little bit longer, but like, yeah. Do you feel like that? um, I feel like a lot of reps who are pretty wise, Uh, oftentimes they're married. Do you feel like there's this self awareness you take from like how you build a, a good relationship with your wife at home, and then taking those communication, you know, approaches, all those things, those values, and bring it to work. Yeah, did you, did you feel like that? You know, helped. Yeah, I certainly
1: did. Um, I'm married to a saint, and it, I hope you get to meet her one day. But yeah, definitely. The, the thing I would say about that, Omar, is you have to make a commitment as a couple that you're going to be in this lifestyle because it, it's not a job, it's not a career, it's a mm. lifestyle for med device. Because there's going to be late nights and early mornings, and you, you're gonna, you know, if you're in trauma or something where you're on call, you have to take two cars to. You know, the movies or dinner. Um, So that's the first thing. If you are married, you're going to enter this industry. You both have to be bought into what it's about because it is hard. And, um, you know, I involved my wife in a lot of things um, where, you know, surgeon relationships and, you know, we always did it the Med way. Wives paid for their own, but um, she was a secret weapon. but not so secret. Like I, I wanted her to be involved. Um, we have relationships to this day that I've built over the years with, you know, spouses of, of my customers and and not just surgeons. Um, you know, Allied Health, um, there's a guy, that's, his birthday is seven days from mine. He was a, a PA for an orthopedic surgeon that I know, I've known for 20 years. And, you know, I, we still keep up and um, yeah. So I, I think that's important if, your spouse has to be bought in; and they have to be all in that this is what you're going to do. It's going to take some sacrifice, but uh, the end result is you're helping people. You're making a great living.
0: Yeah. It's funny you say that. Like it's, again, this is kind of like w- one of the things about our industry. I really love, I, I don't know any under, other industry like this when it comes to sales, that it really is a lifestyle. And there's these, um, I don't know what you would call them, but very nuanced parts of the life, right? Like for example, um, you know, as we speak there are reps out there who cover a, you know, a Hopkins, a UCSF, a large center. They've been at that center for like 5, 10, 15, 20 years. They know every nook and cranny of that hospital. They know who pulls the levers on what. Um, and like very simple things like um, you know, like for example, like the doctors' lounge versus the area where like a lot of staff meet and eat where you should eat, who you should talk to. Like there's there's all these nuanced things about being a rep, right? Like I, I just love it. And and you only you only understand it if you like live that life. And I think that lifestyle is so unique to it. And again, I think having a spouse, it's just like when a doctor goes to residency, like your spouse has to be on board. Otherwise, it's going to be really, really rough. Yeah,
1: 100%. And there, there's a rep that's been, um, he's a trauma rep, uh, one of the big uh,
0: Talk about a rough a rough gig, yeah. Like to all the trauma reps, we were listening. Like we know how hard it is. You got it. Like, hey, do you know of another uh, group that has a harder job than trauma reps? I'd I personally don't. No. I, I, sorry. Finish. Finish what you were saying. Sorry.
1: No. He he's just been there for like twenty three years, maybe twenty five years. Has
0: a trauma rep. Yeah. This guy desert, needs a lifetime achievement award. I've never heard that. That's yeah. wild.
1: Yeah, he. he, and he is, wow. He is one of the most humble, kind. I mean, he, the amount of impact that he's had on patient care and residents—it's just unbelievable. Like he—he he is one of my heroes.
0: Wow. Off offline, you—you gotta let me know who that is. I would love to have that guy or gal on my on my show. That's yeah. that's a. That's legendary. Seriously. Cause like most people that I know when it comes to trauma, the most I've ever heard is like seven to nine years. Right. And then they end up just like, you know, uh, moving to a different company, but over two decades in one place, like, yeah, just amount of, the amount of resonance that guys trained, you know, yeah. That's what, and this person's over at, at Stryker or ConMed, where are they? No, they're at uh, Depew Synthes. At Depew Synthes. Wow. <laughs>
1: I work. I've worked with a guy from Striker Trauma. I want to say he's been there for twelve years. Is a trauma guy just banging it out?
0: Man, I, I gotta tell you, like uh, there is there is a persona in our industry, whether it's trauma or something else, where it's a clinical rep who has been doing it for over two or three decades, and they're like in their late forties, early fifties, and I'm just like, man, my hat goes off to you because like I'm 37, I'm in phenomenal shape. But I like after a few years of like being a uh, clinical sales rep, I was like, I was like, all right, I got to do something else. This is, this is like too much on me. You know,
1: you know, Omar, I I would also point to the CRM reps. So cardio rhythm management pace reps.
0: Uh, Oh yeah. Cause then they have to uh, take patient calls, right? They're on call. Yeah. They're,
1: yeah. clinics. Like that's a, that's a rough life too, but it's so rewarding. Like how cool is that to go and get to sit with the patient and like you were part of that life-changing moment where they're not in AFib or D-Fib. They're, they're, they're able to go on living because the product that you help implant or, 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 you know, whatever that terminology is, but you're, you're still taking care of this patient. So. Yeah,
0: that's interesting. There's, um, uh, he was just on my show. There's, it's, uh, there is a founder, uh, J- uh, Jason Bang. He's founded a company called Future Cardia. Um, so they're, they uh, cardiac, cardiac arrhythmia device. And, uh, when, I, when I brought up this topic, I was like, you know, you're competing with like the Medtronics, the Boston scientific, the Edwards of the world, like, how are you going to recruit? And he, he had a great answer. He's like, one of our, one of our, uh, strategies is that we're going to get the best, uh, cardiac rhythm reps and we're going to get them by paying them more. And I'm like. I love that because yeah, it's a hard and he, and he, he made a good point. He's like, he's like, it's a really hard job that like the success, the clinical success of patient success is on this person. So why wouldn't you pay this person more? They should be paid more than me. I was like, respect. So I'm, I'm so the company's called future cardio. I'm, I'm, we'll see how they do. Um, but I'm pretty excited for them. Um, you know, after those five years, so again, you, you, you hit quota multiple times, uh, and within those five years, um, you did. You five time fourth quarter trip award winner. Can you explain what that is, by the way, before I move on to to my yeah. question? So
1: it was it was an incentive to make sure everyone finished strong, even if you weren't going to make your yearly number. It oh, last, so there was
0: no sandbagging.
1: Yeah, it was the last four months of the year, and I think the the delta was maybe one hundred and twenty percent to quota in those four months in isolation.
0: Oh wow, and, that's hard.
1: <laughs> yeah, so it was really like, hey, all hands on deck, we're going to finish the year. And I know I went it my first year and my wife's like, you're never missing that trip ever. You're going to make sure that you get to where you're going in the last four months of the year. And, uh, it, it was, it was great. I mean, it was a great time to, you know, go spend money on my family and
0: reward them
1: for their sacrifice. So.
0: Oh, that's yeah. You know, that's actually really smart too. Cause like you can, it's like, Hey, how can we get the most out of the reps? It's like, give them an, an award that that involves their family benefiting so like a trip or something yeah. and i guess like it's better it's if you're a company i think it's better than money because like money just goes into a bank account it's like oh that's great but when you go on a trip yeah oh that's smart oh I, so now yes yeah, so they get your, your your spouse bought in more where where are the trips usually
1: so they would just give us a voucher. We could do anything we wanted like one
0: year Oh, them. wow. family. Oh, that's smart. You you reward the rep, you get their family involved and like you push like employee wellness cuz like a lot of reps like if it's left up to them, they just don't take the vacation time. I didn't take a vacation for I don't know for how many years and then I realized I'm like that's stupid. I should take time off and now when i once you get married that definitely happens you
1: know no but that that was it it was engaging it was like wow you have this amount of money that you go do whatever you want you want to go to disneyland go to disneyland you want to take just your wife you want to take your wife and kids and in my case i wanted to take my older brother um just you know good dude good good friends and and we did that and uh, it was very rewarding. My wife remembers every single one of those trips everywhere we went. And she knew that was because, you know, my employer cared about her wellness as well.
0: Amazing. So my, my next, next, another thing I want to cover, you know, because again, what, aside from having a really successful uh, career, you know, you, you had a successful career in like one of the most competitive places, arguably in med device. So, we you know, we talked about this. You came you're you're very kind to come speak to my medical sales program, um, about the transition from like rep to leadership. So what was the transition like from rep to sales manager? And then also, I mean, later on you went from sales manager to GM. Like there's definitely some point inflection points of growth that you have to do. So like from rep to manager, what was the biggest difference?
1: So I always tell people that ask me about, hey, you know, I wanna get into leadership. The first thing I say is you have to answer this question first is why do I want to do it? Because mm. for me, the reason was was different and it, it wasn't the right answer. I am high achiever. So I, I subscribe to the Gallup Strengths Finder. I think it's an amazing tool. It tells you a lot about you and tells you where you're really great and where you should stay away from. It doesn't say that you're weak in anything. It just says, you know, it's not, Necessarily a great place for you to spend your time. Like if you're not if you're not high in uh, in empathy, like don't don't worry about it. You're high in other things that make you great. But I'm an achiever, and I'm like, what's the next step? Like I've made quota three times. I should be a manager, right? No. Um, and I, I got some coaching along the way. But my first reason was like, I just want the next step. Like I want to keep moving up. I knew I wanted to coach people, but that wasn't the forefront. And I think that really has to be front of mind. That's why you want to go into leadership. If if you don't love people and you don't care about people, don't do it. Be an individual contributor, crush your territory, you know? Um, So that was kind of what I recognized after I'd been in the role a little while. Um, And you know, as I was going towards the next role, I'm like, how am I going to be successful? Um, Just like when I was a rep, I was going to be successful by outworking every other competitor. I was going to work harder than anybody. Um, my main competitor had a, a, a manufacturing facility here. So I needed to recreate that in my territory because when I would go calling people like, Oh, you know, the engineers come see us all the time. We get, you know, loaners in 24 hours, et cetera. So I'm like, I have to do that. Same thing when I went into leadership is how am I going to be a successful leader in a division that I had not worked for? It was a different space completely. I was, I was selling capital equipment, disposables. I was going to total joints and trauma.
0: Mm, Yeah, it was two different worlds. Yeah.
1: So, you know, my offense there was I'm going to make sure that they know that I'll do anything that they'll do. I'll cover their weekend call, um, which I didn't do very often because they wouldn't let me. Um, I'm going to know as much about the product as they do. I'm going to be valuable to them. And and I'm going to make sure that everybody in the corporate office knows who we are and that we get resources accordingly. And that was that was my offense. And I'm going to win the people over that. That was very important, too. So that was kind of the thing. That was my strategy to
0: go in and be successful. Yeah, I think it's 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 really good that you mentioned that because I think, you know, the sales role in Medtech is kind of like sorry buddy this but this, here comes a sports analogy. It's I can't think of a better one. Um it's very much like the quarterback role uh, from college to NFL. Like every other role in, you know, or player like it's very easy to recruit. So you just look at the, look at them on paper like, "Oh yeah, they'll do really well." But the quarterback role, there have been multiple quarterbacks who won national championships, Heisman, and they Flopped right in in the NFL. Similarly, I feel like there's a lot of sales reps who are just phenomenal reps, just absolutely cr- whether it's capital or anything else. But then they get moved into a leadership role, and they're just absolutely terrible. I, I, I really believe one of those things. I think it's like one of two things. One is they cannot think from a big picture standpoint. It's not. It's no offense to anybody, but like it it takes a certain mentality to understand specifically be obsessed with the numbers, the strategy side. But the other side is like, you know, again, you tell me if you disagree with this. Some some people disagree with me. I don't think that as a rep, when you get promoted to leader, that you should be flying all over the country trying to help closing close deals. Because now it's just like you're, you're, it's like, it's just, it's your glorified sales rep at this point. And I I feel like that's not a sales manager. Sales manager knows how to like lead and manage people. You
1: have to be a force multiplier of yourself. Um, we just had a development meeting with some of our newer RSDs and some that are you know, a little more tenured to kind of meld through that and talk through that. You, you can't be a super rep. And I did a little bit of that when I first started. I think everybody does. It's like they're running around doing the sales calls. And that's a, that's a recipe for failure and disaster. It's um, not scalable. If, the, if you have 10 reps, you, you can't get to everybody. You have to teach them how to do it and, and go and inspect it. Like if as a sales leader, you have to go and watch your people do sales calls, do in services, do product demos, how are they in surgery? If you're not spending time doing that, you're gonna fail. Because it's Mm -hmm. like, if you coach a basketball team and you practice with them four days a week, and then on Saturday, you send them to play the game and they lose and they come back and you're like, what happened? You're gonna get different answers from everybody. They're not gonna happen. You have to see it with your own eyes. And you can ask all 20 direct sales leaders that work at Combat Advanced Surgical, hey, what, what's what's the expectation for you to be in the field? And they will be able to tell you with a, very precisely. I expect them to be in the field with their reps a minimum every quarter for a couple of days. Now that varies. If you have a 10-year veteran, you don't need to go spend two days watching that person do sales calls and services and how they are in cases. You have someone that's been here for three months, man, you might be with them twice in a quarter. And I just think it's so important to observe it and to give very good feedback, like, you know, in the moment, but also like, let's recap the two and a half days we spent together. What you do really well, where are your opportunities? And and that, that to me is the recipe. And I, I think a lot of med device companies got away from that. U.S. Surgical was one of the very best. It's now, you know, COVID and Medtronic, they kind of made their evolution, but they're one of the very best that did that. And I'm fortunate to know a couple of big leaders from there. And yeah, that was their secret sauce is we're going to train the heck out of these people. So we don't we don't have to be there all the time, but we certainly spend enough time with them to know that they're doing really well at their job and that they're competent to be in front of our customers and helping take care of patients.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's such a good analogy too, which is like, you know, it's like coaching. It's like coaching a basketball team, but then like they go play the game and you're not there. And I think that's like, our industry is going through serious a serious learning curve right now because we've kind of perpetuated the old way of doing business for way too long, and it doesn't work in the modern world. I mean, one of those like a perfect example. This is part of the reason why I was I wanted them as a as a sponsor. But like for CRMs, like one a lot of our a lot of companies don't use CRMs, and if they do, too much of it is put on like the rep to put in data on their own manually, which often doesn't happen. And then when you do a deal review and everything, it's very subjective, like literally like reporting the weather, you know? And so like seeing better tools like Clary come out where they automate that process, give you predictable revenue, I think is so important. I think like another one, I'm a huge fan, actually Dr. Jacob and I, we spoke about it is like avail, you know, so remote, remote coverage of cases. Uh, But I think like being able to have that objective approach is so, so important. And then like being able to see it yourself. Because again, if you ask the rep, like, I don't know, it's, it's, it just doesn't make sense. I think your analogy is perfect. It's like sending a team to go play a game and then they're coming back and tell you what they think they did wrong, you know?
1: Yeah. You have to be able to see it. And and I agree. And, you know, there is this thing where, you know, reps only want to give you good news or managers only want to give you good news. They they don't always tell you about the sales cop sales um, call that they totally flopped on or that, you know, a competitor is in and getting some traction like and, and I preach this like crazy is you you, ha- you got to tell the truth. And it's it, it's not about the, the rep or the manager being untruthful, but it's like, give me all the details. Just hit me square in the face. And uh, th- th- there's a, a term called psychological safety. It's about how you can absolutely drop any knowledge in a meeting, and it's it's not going to negatively affect you. It does a career limiting move. It's just hey, we're we're going to be brutally honest with each other, and and it's okay if, if it's not good news. It's the news has to be reported as it is with no spin.
0: Do you you know? Do you feel that one of the reasons we don't see that as often in our industry is there's I feel like our industry mimics a lot of what they see from our customers. So like with surgeons, you have residents and you pimp the hell out of them and you mop the floor with them. And I feel like the same thing happens on sales teams. So as a result, people are just not as transparent as to when things are going wrong because they're just like, I don't want to get embarrassed with front of the team. Do you feel like that's that's an issue in our industry? You know, I think it's gotten a
1: lot, it's a lot different. Um, you know, used to have the call, it's like a new product launches and every Tuesday night you were going to have a discussion on who, how many surgeons you called on, how many people said yes, how many people said no, and you know, if you were ever on that call and you had a, well, I didn't talk to anybody about that last week. That was not a friendly place to be, and hmm.
0: um,
1: I feel like that's a little softer than it was ten years ago. Um, it's people are not led with as much, um, I don't know, edge as they used to be.
0: Do you think that's good or bad? Neither. I,
1: I think it's just the times we live in now, I think we all need to have edge when it's time to have edge, but I think we also need to, to really find out what's going on. Yeah. Uh, There's a great podcast, um, Brene Brown and, and, and I'll, I'll send you the name of it and you can put it up in the, in the graphic, but it talks about, do you think people are doing their best all the time? And I think about that a lot because I think generally people are sometimes, you know, if, if, if a rep is having a really rough month, you know, maybe their grandmother's sick. Maybe they're having tr- pro- some other problem at home or they're just finding a little depression. Um, so I think as leaders, it's very important to always ask that question before you jump into how many sales calls did you make, you know, all the things it's like, Hey, just slow down and say, Hey, is everything okay? I care about you as a person. I need you to be okay. Let's talk about that first. And then let's jump into how we can get you to where you need to be. How can we, you know, close this Delta and get a quota for the quarter of the year?
0: Yeah, I think it's a great point. I think, you know, some, some people don't like the sort of the soft and mushy approach, but I don't see it that way. The way I see it, I mean, it's better for your employee because you're showing that you actually care about them, but on a like output standpoint, it's just, again, I, I, I Take it back to sports, but like, you know, they're being assessed constantly. So if somebody, if a player has an off day, like they look into it's like, Hey, is everything okay? Like, are you sleeping well? You having problems at home? Is it these, is that the other, you know, cause then you're able to diagnose what the actual issue is and then help that person get help, which in result will help the business cause they got, got that thing taken care of, you know?
1: And, you know, for people that have been around for a while, this is a hard, hard business. Um, you know. I'm gonna to go to the sports analogy where we're not supposed to go, but you think about a baseball player, if they're successful three out of 10 times at the plate, they're going to the hall of fame. I would say if you're a successful sales rep, every time you go to the plate, you hit one out of 20, you're probably making your number. And this to be told no so much, and it's it's the, the bar is set so high as far as clinical knowledge, and you, know, you, you can't afford to be wrong. There's a patient under that drape. Um, it's just a lot of stress and to just beat the crap out of people all the time, I don't think it, it, it garners the right results, especially with, you know, the folks that we're bringing into the business now.
0: I, I yeah, I, I completely agree. So I think, you know, there was a time where you could do that. People were getting paid enough. There was no social media. So it's like, oh, that's just how it is. But these days, you know, people are going to look and be like, you know, I'm working my butt off. My boss is treating me like trash. This is really stressful. Um, I can go work in another industry and make more money with less stress. Let me just do that, you know. And I've seen too many like talented salespeople, marketers, etc., leave the industry. Um, and and I, I personally, it's like uh, last week at Dreamforce, I I was on panel and uh, with with Daniel Hawkins from Avail, and a lot of the people from Clary were in the audience, and they came up to me afterwards and they're like, oh my god, like. I have so much respect for medical device sales. I had no idea that's what it's like. And you guys have to do all these things like, and it, they were like, a lot of the salespeople were like, really, it was kind of like they, they, wa- they, they watched like Glenn or Glenn Ross or some sales movie. And they're like, man, like, I wonder if that exists. And then they realize, like, oh my God, that world does exist. Like there are salespeople that like have to be on point like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you think about it, like outside of like all the clinical knowledge, plus like, Knowing, let's say, how to mark and all these things, you know, you have to like, let's say, just simple dinner with a surgeon. There's a certain level of sophistication you have to have outside of your own industry to be able to sit down with a surgeon who's who's you know making six, seven, maybe sometimes eight figures, and have a conversation so that that garners respect from them outside of just like your product, right? And I, like things like that. I don't think people take 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 into account, you know?
1: No. It, it... And I I think that people miss that. It's like, oh, I'm going to get in. And I mean, it's really hard to do all those things really well. Seriously. when I first started, I wasn't good at it. I had to learn from other people, you know?
0: I mean, I... I, What was something you struggled with a lot at the beginning? um, Struggled with a lot. I don't know if you're going to put me on this. Maybe not struggle with a lot, but what what was something that was definitely like a growing pain for you?
1: Probably the getting into the numbers and seeing trends. Like I had to, I had to really ask for help there. Mm. Um, I would jump in with my manager. or I had a couple of guys that were in the Dallas Fort Worth area that were really just princes to me. Like, I, I don't know what I did to deserve, you know, their goodwill, but they helped me walk through like, Hey, this is what you should be looking at. Like these product categories, that's going to tell you the real true health of your business versus, you know, just focusing on the wrong things. Um, you know, where I feel like I always excelled was building relationships and being able to read the room. But yeah, I, I can remember, this is a funny sermon to tell myself. I was at Academy, uh, the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons meeting my second year. Went to dinner with myself, a rep, a product manager, and a few surgeons, and we were just sitting down to eat. And like I don't know that i had been to many fine dining steak restaurants uh, from zero to 24 years old. Mm. And I'm eating a steak and and I cut like three bites of steak and the rep who is maybe 10 years older he kicks me out of the table he goes one bite at a time, big guy. And just little nuance that I didn't know. You know, I'm just a dumb kid from southern Oklahoma. And, you know, the guy's telling me some things. So what did I do? I went and got an Emily Post. I'm like, what is, what does etiquette look like? Cause I wanted to be ba- I wanted to be great at everything. So I know it's a funny thing, like when there's a large group dinner and there's like 10 people and not everybody got their food, I always say, Emily Post is when there's more than eight, you can start. And I <laughs> get a lot of grief for that.
0: It's, you know, it's so funny you say that because like, uh, I guess like the, I went through the same thing when I made my transition from like rep to like marketing manager and I was going to like, I don't know, like 18 conferences a year. And so like little things like, how do you, how do you. Like when, okay, like I, as social as I am back in the day, like I kind of didn't know what to do with myself when there would be like, um, some of the smaller conferences would have like a, um, like a gala night. Right. And so like, for me, when I was a young guy, I was like, you know, 26 years old, I was like, well, what do I do when I'm like, you know, meeting all these people? And a lot of times, you know, people are dressed up, their doctors are, you know, with their spouses and everything. I'm like, what, what should I do? So I had to like, I had to look this all up. It's and and you know what's amazing, uh, Aaron, is that today there's like no excuse not to know these things. Maybe this is kind of a good like segue to the self development side. There's just so much knowledge. There's like YouTube, there's courses, there's all these things. Um, you have Chat like, there's like no excuse not to know. You know what I mean? I, I, like I, agree.
1: And you know, learners in my top 10, and I'll refer to the strengths and. You know, for those that listen, like investigate it. I think it'll be great for you. My wife has done it. Both my kids have done
0: it. It's can I can I, I plug that real quick? The, the you're talking about the Gallup Strengths Finder, right? Okay. And this again, we talked about this. We'll, we'll get into it as well. But like, your professional growth is your responsibility, not your manager's, not your companies. So like, you're hearing about the Strengths Finder. You've heard how like it impacted Aaron. This thing costs fifty nine bucks. Right. Go pay for it yourself. Pay. What I recommend doing pay for these, like, this is not legal advice. I'm not a lawyer, but what I used to do was I set up an LLC through my, through LegalZoom. Anything I wanted to spend on my personal education, I just did that and try to write it off at the end of the year. And then after I bought a course or something, I would go to my company and say, can I get reimbursed for this? And if they did, great. If they didn't, then I just write it off, right? But in any case, like, just take it on yourself. Yeah. For the single people out there, don't go out to the bar for a couple of weeks I guarantee you'll find the money, but Aaron, sorry, go, go ahead no,
1: you're right, like you you have to own that as an individual, um and you know I still own that i'm I'm reading or doing something all the time, but yeah, I would say, and that was kind of my rule when I would speak to you know our reps about developments like eighty five percent of it is you. it's you Because if, if you want to grow, you will, you'll find ways and i omar I, I think that you actually told me. Um, when we were just having a chat one night that you you always invested, like I'm going to invest $5,000 in myself every
0: single year, 10% of my, 10% of my income. It's like a, that's like a rule now for me, 10%.
1: (laughs) And, and listen, you can get some really good stuff. Um, you know, I I think like, you know, they do weekend courses at the Cox school of business at SMU for like 7,500. How much do you learn? Or you know, maybe it doesn't cost anything. Maybe you just sit down and read. Or you call somebody. Network. It,
0: key key hack here, call like whatever it is, call an offer to pay somebody. I, I'll tell you like cause I, I just realized like how much the one thing I found, Aaron, as like a as a hack of life, like like time traveling hack, paying somebody for knowledge. Like, you know, I love books and everything, but like perfect example, I picked up golf recently. I'm a, I love golf. If you, if you're in Southern California, hit me up. We'll go golfing. Um, I love golf. I might organize a med rep golf outing soon. We'll see. But like, you know, I was pretty good at it. And then I had to like, I paid a hundred bucks for one pro lesson, massive difference. I do jujitsu, you know, I've been, oh, you know, doing jujitsu for many years. I finally paid for one lesson with a black belt, like unbelievable difference. All right, There's just so much value in that. And I feel like there's a lot of people out there. Like, I'll tell you what, like there's, there's some reps who are like multiple quota achievers. If you're a rep listening, find that rep and offer, not just say, Hey, can I, I would like to take you to lunch and I'd like to pay you just throw a number $200 for your time. I just want to learn everything. That person will come to that meeting with a completely different mindset to, to make sure that you get what you, and most of the time they're going to like, not, you know, they're, they're going to, they're going to insist not to get paid. I insist just find a way and be like, no, no, I would like to pay you. Like that's the only way I feel comfortable, you know,
1: cinema yeah. gift
0: a uh, hundred. Yeah, completely, completely what, you know, on the self-development side, um, you know, and actually before we get to self-development, one last thing, because it's a, it's a rare thing when you when you moved into GM, GM is a big, big, massive role, especially again, not just any small company at like striker. Sales manager, to GM, what were the key differences there? What, 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 does it take to be a GM versus just a salesman? Sure. If, if rep to sales manager, your thing is like, you got to be good at force multiplying yourself and, and managing people and not being the hero to do everything manager to GM, what's the difference?
1: So, you know, the, the organization I had, um, it, it was about building culture and trust, uh, the, the gentleman that was before me was very operationally focused. Um, like hey let's let's make sure our eyes are t our eyes are dotted our t's are crossed. so operationally it was great, but culture wise it we weren't you know doing great like there wasn't a big team, so as the g m and I think as a sales manager you you have the opportunity to build culture, but when you go that next step up, you're leading leaders at that point, so you have to have this culture piece like this is who we are, this is you know that's the light we're running towards. And you got to build that vision of, hey, if, if you have a question about what to do, if there's a big decision, like this is our thing. Like these are our three things and that's going to help you make most every decision that you have. And that gives you that frees you up to do bigger thinking. But I had to widen my field of view, think about culture um, and also think about how am I going to lead leaders? How do I make sure that they know how to coach, how they know how to observe and then, you know, I also had the other side of the business, which was operations, customer service, inventory. So I had to learn how to be savvy on the PL and help have people help me pull the right levers. So we made sure that we we made the bottom line as well as the top line.
0: A hundred percent. And you know, um, just just because I have to plug it because literally this is, so um, speaking about like a PL. so I run my own business now and I manage all these numbers and everything. And I, it kind of dawned on me the other day because another friend of mine who runs a venture back company started asking me some questions that I didn't know the answer to. And he's like, dude, and he's, he's my very close friend. And he was like, bro, you're not going to make, you're not going to make the money you should be making if you don't know these things. And so that, that pain that I felt pushed me. And so for those who are listening, if you want to really elevate yourself as a business leader, um, I, I spent a lot of time figuring out what's the one book I should read. So by the way, the, the title of this book is one of those things where I can only just appreciate how brilliant the packaging is. It's called a uh, Warren Buffett accounting. Okay. And so this whole book walks you through how to read a balance sheet an income statement, all these things. And my homework is to kind of go through this and then also start looking up Again on YouTube, there's plenty of people I can look up. Like J and J's quarterly earnings, and somebody's literally there walking through the income statement, the balance sheet, etc., talking about the P and L. And so I think like pushing yourself to learn these things because again, you did that yourself. There wasn't in, in Striker; they wouldn't say, "Oh, hey, Aaron, now you're GM. Let's we, we're going to train you on how to know these things." You had to figure it out on your own, otherwise you're out of the job, right? Right.
1: But Omar, I, I will tell you also is if you have if there's something you're not good at, um, you know. You use technology, like you said. So for me, um, I have all these appointments and meetings that happen during the day. I have to set alarms on my phone to make sure that I'm not late. Like yours went off for this today at four And twelve. I'm like, oh, there's Omar. But also, like if there's something that you're not a super expert at, like the PNL, I had a, a great partner in Doug Frank. He was my finance partner, and he and I spent a lot of time together to help me make sure that I understood it and. Um, just like if, if you're not great at PowerPoint and you're a rep and you've got to do some of those, eventually you're going to get better at PowerPoint, but in the interim, like have somebody help you. It's okay mm-hmm. to have help like that. I, I agree. Like if that's going to be your job and that's an important part of your business, then do that. So I haven't done my own taxes in 15 years cause I'm not good at it. And so I, I've outsourced that.
0: Same here. There's some things. A hundred percent, man. I think there's some things that you have to identify. Like, does this get me closer to who I want to become? And if it's answers, so answer, it's just outs- like, I've outsourced my taxes. It's like, there's no point in me. Like I'm going to spend, I don't know. I'm going to, I'm going to save a few hundred bucks a year. If I do it my, I'm like, nope, I'm outsourcing that. Yeah. Do you think, I think that's another important, important part of like the self-development is reflecting on who do you want to become and what are you really good at? And what are you not going to spend time doing? Um, You know, there is. There's one, I wonder, I wonder. did you ever get advice, Aaron, early in your career where you were told to focus on certain areas and you just said, you know, based on where I want to go, that's actually not a good use of my time. Can you think of any time like that?
1: Yeah, my, my first um, big leader had talked about, you know, you you should really get into the numbers more. And, and I was already in the numbers, but I think I feel like he wanted me to be an expert. And, and that just was never where I was going to land. The um, mm. thing is people and relationships and, you know, making people feel included and uh, just that I got them, like I got their back. <clears throat> and so yeah. that's a lot of my time today. I have an amazing finance partner at ComEd and she is amazing. I can call her and then the person that works for her, the director, like I, I spend at least an hour a month with him. Just help me see the trends that you see. And, and sometimes mm-hmm. we agree, like I'm like, I don't see that at all, but, but it's good, healthy debate to talk through it. And he's usually right or she's usually right, but it's, I just, and my boss tells me this now, Bill Peters, who runs the general surgery business, a comment, he said, man, you, you got to keep planning your strengths because sometimes like I'll get on this kick, like I need to be a little bit more organized and I need to be able to quote these three things about the numbers. And that's just, you know, it, it's not exactly where I, I need to live. Like I need to live by engaging the managers and the reps and the area sales directors, finding out what's happening in the field. <clears throat>
0: I think that's something definitely it comes with age, which is like there are some things that like you should spend time like knowing a little bit more about getting better about. But I think like it's so much more valuable, especially early career, to figure out like what am I really good at that if I focus on it, I can go to top one percent and then absolutely world class, and then everything else is like don't even waste time on it because it's just like like you know the amount of energy to go from like mediocre to like average. Is the same amount of energy to go from like good to great. And you're better off focusing on going to good to great. Cause you that's a, at least in my career, that's where I realized I'm like, that's where I'm going to get paid more money. I'm going to have more opportunities. And so for me, you know, like the advice that I was given, this is like the, I don't know what about it. Cause back then I was very impressionable when I was early in my career, somebody in my organization, somebody who I have a lot of respect for one of the advice they gave me, which I disagree with was, was like, you know, you should take a course on um, learning how to like, be better at Excel spreadsheets, right? And running data and everything. And at the time I was like, if I become a master at Excel spreadsheet, which I was, I had zero interest at the time, I was like, that's not gonna elevate my career, nor is it going to get me paid more. Like, and nor, like there's there's nothing that I'm gonna directly impact the business by doing that. So I actually focused my energy on like learning back then, like paid ads and social media advertising. That worked out really well, you know? But but again, mainly because of where my interests lie. And for you, like your strength was like people and leading people. So it sounds like from the Gallup poll and everything else, you focused your energy on developing those areas. And then wherever you needed help, either getting that help or delegating. Is that correct? That's right. We're using technology.
1: Absolutely. So my phone alarm is the technology that keeps me on schedule. Um, You know, and like I have one-on-ones with my team um, and I use the note function. And if there's something that I need to talk to you know Alex or Sarah or Mike or George in the moment if I think of it I just go to my phone I write it down it's in my phone I'm always going to have that with me so it's not a piece of paper that I'm going to lose it's it's in my phone like it's it's there forever until I take it off and that has helped me a lot it is ca- it's capturing thoughts that I might be have that I might have you know getting from the airport to you know the office, it's like okay, this is for something for Sarah, or this is something from George, and it helps me keep track. It keeps the one-on-ones very focused, and we knock things out. And if I don't have anything for them, we don't have it. We don't have meetings; just have meetings.
0: It, what's what's your take, uh, like on on that, like uh, like what's your what's your approach as a leader when it comes to comes to meetings? It, it there has to be some purpose,
1: and you it, as a leader, if you. Schedule a meeting that brings no value for the attendees; they're not going to want to be there, and then it's just going to spiral downward. I learned that. How lesson.
0: do you determine what, uh, like, what brings values value to the attendees? Like, how do you have like a heuristic or friend? Like, how, and not to overcomplicate this, but like, how do you figure that out?
1: Well, I, I think you got to you got to know the people. Um, sometimes it's just an information exchange. Mm-hmm. So if you're just reporting out, hey, this is what's going to be. Um, if if it's a, hey, I'm trying to get some information from them then you, you let them know, like, this is what you should be prepared for. We have a monthly with all of the sales managers and the marketing staff. It's kind of a commercial team meeting. And you know, that that's, we, we, we send them an agenda beforehand. Most of the time, sometimes I fail and don't get it out to them, but it's like, this is what we're going to discuss. And the area sales directors are really good at like, Hey, we need to discuss this. Or someone from marketing will say, Hey, I want to cover these two topics for, for my portfolio. And that's, that's kind of how we run the meeting. Yeah.
0: No, I'm, I'm, I'm totally with you. I think, I feel like certain companies are just like meeting obsessed. And a lot of times, like in the past, like I've been on meetings and I'm like, this is like, a, like not only a waste of time, but it's really expensive. Cause you're like, all these people are here. Like, what do, what is this? You know, yeah. it's it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, if it's a meeting, it really should just be an email. If it's an email, it should really just be a text, you know, <laughs> like something yeah. like that.
1: No, same. So, um, my, uh, our VP of HR, she sent me a set of coffee cups that said, um, this meeting should have been an email.
0: I, <laughs> of, it's, uh... it
1: is, but it's usually on my desk, but I, I've been rearranging and I've got a different desk, so I've probably put it up somewhere. But it's true. Like, you know what? We didn't need to block out an hour to talk about this. Yeah. And that's things like, if you want to know what really makes me crazy is if we if we go to a meeting and we talk about the same thing and we just kind of rehash it a few times and like anybody that works with me knows I will, I will put the brakes on that. Like, okay, we've touched on it enough. We're good. We're going to solve that problem another day. Let's go on to the next thing. And uh, I think I've just gotten old and grumpy about that,
0: man. I'm look, I'm with you. It's just like, you don't just, time is valuable, man. You know, you're not getting that time back. Like I had a meeting today where I like I cut it short. Like it was a thirty minute meeting. I cut it. I cut it short by like ten minutes because I, I already knew the direction this person wanted to go. I'm like, this is why you got on the call. And they're like, yep. And I'm like, got it. I'm like, let's end it right now. I'll shoot you an email. It's like I'm just like don't have the time for it, you know. Um. So uh, kind of wrap wrapping th- things up. You know, real quick. Um. You can say pass to this. I got a question for you. You have this illustrious career at at striker. You rose up through the ranks. Great organization. Then you decide to switch teams. Why?
1: Um, you know, it was a, they came to me. Um, I, somebody I knew, a striker, worked at ComMed. And, you know, I tell people this like, if you call me on LinkedIn, I'm going to tell the exact same story. I don't sugarcoat this. Like, this is just me. But someone had called me and said, hey, listen, there's an amazing job at a really fast growing division at ComMed. I think you ought to talk to him, And, you know, certainly I was like, eh, this is just, you know, I'm doing fine. It's great. And she was like, no, you really should. Like it, it would be interesting. Like you would be a great head coach there. And I'm like, all right, well, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll give it a shot and talk to him. And, you know, I just kind of fell in love with that high growth, you know, we're, mm. we're going from here to here. And, um, Really enjoyed the people. Like there's a certain humility here that just is kind of infectious. And you know, I'm I'm a humble guy, and I I think there's a ton of humble people at Striker. But I just was really intrigued by I I get to be the head coach, and nothing to say that I wasn't going to be the head coach of Striker. Maybe not, but I was super happy. But it's like you know what? I've been in this really safe space for 20 years, and I enjoy everybody I worked with there. But I just thought you know what? you don't get a lot of chances to take, you know, a really, not, it wasn't a small business, but, you know, a good sized business and make it just boom, like crazy big.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I, I felt like that would be cool to be a part of. And absolutely nothing wrong with Striker. Right? Respect them, um, compete against them hard every day, just like I know they compete against me. But I have a lot of respect for the company and, and certainly a lot of respect for Kevin. Um, yeah. Sorry, Kevin Lobo. Um, but yeah, that's that was the jump.
0: Um, yeah, and I, I got I to hand it to ConMed because, like, I've known about ConMed for a long time. You know, I worked out of uh, Orlando, Florida, so I was familiar with ConMed. Um, and ConMed um, was always kind of a boring company for me, but something changed in the last, like, like two or three years. You know, like, and, and I was telling, you know, you have a great VP of marketing in, in Lisa Donnelly. And, like, when I was at AAOS and, you know, the ConMed booth was directly across from Striker, and I went and checked out the comment booth and checked out the presentation and everything. I'm like, I'm like this, this feels like a different company, you know, which is really exciting. I like, like it's very rare to see an older, more established company have sort of a new sort of breath of life. And it is really energetic to see. What, what Do you know what specifically that is that changed at comment? Because something did change the last few years. It's, it, it changed for the better.
1: Yeah, um, so I joined in 2020, and, and and I feel it too. I see what you see. Um, we're, we're you know we're a mid-size company, and I think we're just like let's go, let's see what happens, let's be a little provocative in in the way we talk and the way we act, not in a bad way, but in a great way. Like hey, this is who we are, and we're a great company. We've been around for 50 like,
0: years. Like having all the live the live podium presentations directly across from Striker Booth. That was, that was a baller move. I was, I was like, all right, game on. I like it.
1: Yeah. So I I think it's just, yeah, we're, we're, we're ready for the next big steps and we've done really well with some acquisitions, not only at advanced surgical, but in
0: orthopedics. Um, we uh, we have... BioRes was a great acquisition. BioBrace. Or BioBrace, probably Bio, BioBrace. The company, uh, What's the company's name? Hold on. I'm I just had cuz I just had Kevin Rocco on recently. Yeah. yeah oh yeah, so, so the company's Biores, but the the product is Biobrace, which by the way, marketing around that impressive it's one of the few it's a great example of a product that I've I said this many years ago and people didn't believe it, which is like you're going to see doctors and surgeons especially in be Instagram influencers with products they love and I see Biobrace posted all the time. Surgeons love that product.
1: Yeah, it's I mean, when, when I heard we were, we had bought it and then I did my research and I was like, yeah, cause I mean, rotator cuff repair, it's tough, especially in people my age, like th- there needs to be some augmentation. So, uh, I'm very excited for them, I'm excited for into bones. Um, Pam Azevedo is, is my counterpart there and she's dialed in, uh, that's a great business to be in and, you know, advanced surgical about Buffalo filter, um, in 2019 and then, uh. 2016, I think it was, uh, we bought SurgiQuest, which is the air seal device, and we've just we've done really well there. And I, I think we're going to continue to do that. And, and you know, the other thing is um, homegrown R&D, get ready for that. Nice. For sure. that, is yeah. awesome.
0: that's, that is awesome. That,
1: that's a big jump.
0: Uh, that is really exciting. I'm excited to see you guys again in AAOS and see what else is new, you know? Especially yeah. after this year. Like this year, I was like, you guys stood out. I was like, wow. Okay. So... Just kind of like in wrapping up, I want to kind of cover some of your self development side. Um, You know, we talk about the importance of self development. How do you go about doing self development these days, considering how busy you are? You know, you're you're married, you're dad, you're you're your VP. I mean, time is very precious for you. How do you manage your self development these days, and what kind of things you know do you do you kind of recommend for your team and everything?
1: Yeah. So you're right. My, my time to do development has shrunk over the years. Um, it's actually getting better now that my kids are out of the house. I'm, I'm an empty nester officially as of uh, July 1st. And, um, you know, I, I read, but I also spend time just thinking. Um,
0: Interesting. How do, you, how do you do that?
1: I, I block my calendar and, you know, if, if, you know, I just put block on there for an hour and I leave my phone. I put on my desk I turn on silent and I'll just go sit outside or I go sit in another room and just like think, and if I, and I'll usually have a notepad or something and I'll just write down ideas of things that I should be doing or should be looking at. And sometimes it's a hundred percent. Like I need to make sure that I plan a good vacation for my wife or our anniversary is coming up in six months. What would be great? And sometimes it's, I'm thinking about, Hey, there are probably 10 sales professionals in our organization that I need to call. Who should I call and just check on and see how they're doing? Um, or it's, you know, what do, I, what do I focus on for the next 30 days and trying to build, um, you know, ConMed's brand or get myself a little better at something. So I'm reading a book right now called um, Unreasonable Hospitality. It's sitting right there. And it's yeah. it's from Will Gardera. And it's about how he wanted to be the best restaurant in the world. And he knew that he may not be able to do it through food but he was going to do it through hospitality. And that was like creating these amazing experiences for the guests of his restaurant, 11 Madison park. And it's, it's great. I'm actually, I heard
0: about this book. Yeah. Yeah. I heard about this book because I I, I live in Madison park in New York. Oh, I got it. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting this right now, actually.
1: (laughs) But I'm actually, so I'm reading this book with one of our sales reps because um, funny story, my birthday was in July and I was at sales training and my assistant Who's amazing, Rachel Luciano? I'm gonna give her the shout out. She's awesome. Um, she bought this for my birthday, and I started reading it. And I I shared it to the sales training class, and one of the reps was like, "Hey, can I read this book with you? And like, we could like riff about it." And I said, "Absolutely." So we Smart did the first move on the rep, by the way.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: So we read the first ten chapters, and then there's I think there's twenty chapters. So we're gonna. It, it was a little too much to have a book discussion, but I think you know. I'm going to read it with another group of reps um, in October.
0: That's awesome. I should uh, coordinate with you because I did a, like a medical sales book club a few months ago around uh, a, a book from us from HubSpot CRO and I've been getting hit up and they're like, hey, when are we going to do the next book? Maybe it's this one. That's great. And I, you know what I like about that, Aaron, is like is I think that there's some like not just medical device, medicine in general is actually there's a lot of out it's Pretty outdated, and some of the best innovations in medicine were ideas taken from other industries, mm-hmm. like like Atul Gawande's like checklist manifesto. Like that was like a huge deal in the medical world. It's like, well, checklists have been around for like centuries, you know. Okay. But he just took it and brought it into the surgical world, and was like, you know, we should probably be doing it this way. You know, what 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 are some other like self development books, um, courses, etc. That you often recommend to reps? Um, so,
1: <sighs> you know. There's so many books about sales out there. I think that you know, for me, I'm over that hump now. Like I read Little Red Little Red Book of Selling and you know uh, the Challenger Sale and all those things that are quite old. Like the Little Red Book of Selling is maybe 20 years old. Still applies. I still people I still tell people in college, I'm like, read it. It's great. Um, But I try to get more into leadership. Like I've read everything Patrick has ever written. Um, I like him a lot. Um, and then, you know, I read some things around strengths and situational leadership. That's what we teach at comment advanced surgical. That's, that's kind of the, the foundational book and, and, and course that our, that our team goes through as they get into leadership. So I try to stay studied up on that. So, um, yeah, that's kind of where I live. And then, you know, this is just, this is not has nothing to do with sales or med device, but it's about, Oh yeah. Experiences and like, I I should be doing that for our customers and for our sales professionals. It's like, how can I really delight the customer or delight the people that work in my care?
0: Yeah, I think, and that's, at least when I talked to Jim Heath, that was a big thing at Striker, which is like, how customer service oriented are you? And again, like, uh, I talked to, with reps, I wonder if you agree with this, which is like, as a rep, especially at a large company, like, there's really nothing you can do about the product, very little you can do about pricing. The only thing you have control of is like, how well you service the company, customer and how happy you make them. That's like, literally, that's like, almost like your own product as a rep that you can sell, right? And kind of goes back to your advice at the very beginning of the show, which is like, there's no bad accounts, there's only bad reps, right? You know?
1: Yeah, yeah no, that's right.
0: And it's it's
1: how we decide to delight the customer, makes us memorable or not. That's why Eleven Madison Park is, was the number one restaurant in the world because people remembered how they felt when they were there if you make people feel incredible when you're serving them, you know, whether it's, hey, you you went the extra mile to double, triple check that everything was sterilized for the case. You checked the implants three times or you did an in-service where um, you cooked breakfast for the staff versus throwing bagels uh, at them. Like those things will will set you apart from everybody else. And you have to think in those terms. Like I, I tell a story to some of our young uh, sales professionals is, you know, I used to cook pancakes for in-services. I would bring in two griddles, a bunch of, you know, <laughs> pancake batter, and I was, I cooked pancakes. And, you know, if we did a pot, if, if a hospital invited me to their potluck Thanksgiving, I was going to cook something and that, and, and, and I felt like I belonged and they wanted me to belong because I, I was pretty good at my job and, you know, I was good at service because it, it hurt me if I let customers down. And I think mm-hmm. you have to, personal like you're not going to be late you're not going to not deliver there's a difference between you not delivering and your company not delivering
0: a hundred a hundred percent a hundred percent and i know we're getting close to time so we'll wrap up shortly but like you know a few weeks ago there was a book um the i always get the title mixed around the surgeon salesman or the salesman surgeon salesman surgeon and like it was written in the 70s and like a lot of reps want to know, like, oh, what's that guy's advice about being a great rep? Like, narrow down two things. Like, know your product procedure, like, extremely, extremely well, so you're looked at as reliable and competent. And the other one is just, like, really go out of your way to service the customer. So, if the doctor's like, hey, we're doing this case in a week, everything should be, like, they don't have to think about it or worry, you know? And I think there's something to be said about it. It's like, these things are very simple but I think people overlook them because they're trying to look for some sophisticated way of like doing business. Like, no, just like just do a really good job of taking care of the customer, make sure they're happy. And that's it. You know, I think, I mean, uh, something else I, I need to read it. Uh, I, I feel like I probably bought it. I'll, I'll, I'll check another book on hospitality. I need to read is this one that was, it's like literally the Ritz Carlton handbook, but like the Ritz Carlton has just like insane hospitality, like, like, There's, if you notice next time you go to a Ritz Carlton, they always know your name. Like the moment you check in, everybody there knows your name, you know, the way they treat you and everything is just so important. Um, and then last thing I want to touch on very specifically is that I want the reps to make a note of this is that you mentioned blocking out time for thinking time and, even in my own business, there's a mastermind group I'm a part of with really high, highly successful entrepreneurs. We talk about that, which is like, Hey, did you schedule enough thinking time this week? Cause you're doing so many things that sometimes you have to schedule an hour time with yourself, no devices, no nothing to just sit down and think, you know? And I think a lot of times reps don't do enough of that. They're just constantly in action and doing, 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 you know?
1: Yeah, that that's a hundred percent true because, you know, they, they have a territory, um, they may have obligations at home and, um, you have to do that. I think for your sanity and, you know, one of the things that I've learned is, you know, get yourself in the moment to really properly think. So, you know, sit in the chair and you can feel the chair against your back and you can feel the temperature and you can hear the sounds in the background. It really just centers yourself. And I wouldn't call it meditation, but it's like, okay, to get my mind in this in the correct space where I'm not going a thousand different directions, I'm going to do that. I'm going to, you know, feel the temperature and all those things. And then it really helps me to just kind of shut things out and go, all oh, right, what should I be thinking about? Yeah,
0: totally. All right. Last thing, very quick. You got a few more minutes and we'll let you go. All right. We, I, every now and then I like to do this sort of rapid fire questions. So these are completely unrelated questions. They're kind of fun, rapid fire. You take as long as you want to answer them. So we're going to do, you know, two or three of them. So first rapid fire question. New Med rep enters medical devices. Get started. What is the one book you tell them to read?
1: I would tell everybody to read how to Win Friends and Influence People Dale
0: Carnegie I know see this is why we get along, Aaron was that book written
1: 75 years ago?
0: It's, now, it's like almost hundred years now, I think it's it's an old yeah. book, but it is it is very good. Key factoid you know who modeled or took that book and modeled their um, training after the CIA. CIA used that book, yeah. yeah. So awesome, great recommendation, great. Okay. All right, next. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, sorry. Go ahead. No, one more is um, okay. Uh, Chris Voss's book. Oh, a never the book. difference. Yeah, that's a yeah. really. That that's actually that's a solid uh, recommendation. Those two together, that respect. Yeah, that's that's good. Yeah. Okay. Next question. So in the last like year or two, um. What's a very cool and interesting purchase you made from Amazon that was less than, let's say, 100 bucks? It could be anything.
1: So, my wife and daughter are really the Amazon shoppers. Um, but I will tell you, it's so Omar, like you, I'm playing golf uh, since since I've become an empty nester. So, it's this little Garmin watch that tells, it's on my desk, it tells me the yardage when I'm playing. So, I don't have to go look oh, for the yardage. No way. Read. Yeah. It, it was not. It was not less than a hundred dollars. Still, that's okay. I'm trying it. to get my game in shape, and for any of my coworkers that have played with me, they'll tell you that I'm terrible most of the time. But um, it's been very enjoyable. A lot of people I work with play, and, and I love to watch. It's it's been really helpful.
0: Perfect. Last question for you is like, what's a, what's a quote or mantra that you like to live by, or you like to always kind of keep in mind for yourself?
1: Um, boy, there's a lot of them. But I think it's probably um, Simon Sinek's quote. I'm going to I'm going to butcher it, but it's being a leader is not about being in charge. It's about taking care of the people in your charge. Mm. Wow. And that, that is like the bill is you have to be in a spot where you are taking care of people and that you have their best interests in mind. I mean, we have the company goals, but you got to figure out what it is and make sure that you take care of them because you want them to stay forever. We don't want to build a spot where we're just whacking them over the head all the time and we have high turnover. You want to build a culture and an organization that wants to stay together. And I think that's super important.
0: Totally. I can't think of a better way to to wrap up. Aaron, hey, thank you so much for coming on the show. If you're on LinkedIn, connect with Aaron. Just look him up at Aaron Chester. Uh, any other social media? You got a TikTok or something?
1: No, no TikTok. <laughs> Instagram game. Uh, I'm super anonymous on Instagram, but uh, I'm I'm thinking about LinkedIn. that, LinkedIn's my thing. And I double dare anybody listening today to reach out to me on LinkedIn. I will absolutely call you back. A hundred percent. It'll be a little scheduling thing. It's never going to happen at the end of the month. It's never going to happen at the end of a quarter. But I promise you, I will follow up with you. I want as many amazing people in this business as possible. And whether you're trying to get in, you're already here, and you're just looking for a little advice, you may be a little stuck. I, I really want to be that person for as many as I can because somebody was that person for me. And I want to pay it forward a thousand times and hope everybody that I do that for will pay it forward ten times.
0: That's awesome. And let me let me I'm gonna add one more thing to that. So if you're listening to this podcast, Go to Aaron's profile on LinkedIn, connect with him. But on the top right corner, there's a little bell icon. Click that bell and turn on all notifications so that way the moment that he has a job opening on his team, you're able to apply immediately. And in the interim, I would in- encourage you to engage with his content so you're on his, on his radar. Aaron, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been another episode of the State of MedTech. If you haven't already, give the show five stars on Apple and Spotify. Right, we just hit over 100 reviews on Apple Thanks for making us the number one show in MedTech. We're over 50,000 downloads already. That's thanks to you all. If you enjoyed this episode, forward this on to another rep or leader that you think is going to help and give us that review. Really appreciate it. We'll see you all next time. Thank you for enjoying another epic episode of The State of MedTech. If you're feeling inspired and love this episode, do us a favor. Hit that subscribe button and turn notifications on so you never miss an episode. And be sure to give us five stars and write a short review because that helps more people discover this amazing community of ours. If you're a company who has a executive that you'd like to be on the show or perhaps you want to sponsor one of the episodes, shoot us an email at hello at Take care. See you next time.